0: Hey, I'm Ashley welcome to our podcast series where we answer the question why on earth decisions made in design today matter for tomorrow
1: yeah I want to drink
0: uh... tell me when you're finished pouring and we'll get this party started stay,
2: stay tuned uh, I want to tell that as well
0: on today's episode we're discussing 2020 wow what a shitty year One thing after the next went wrong and we are in uncharted territory, at least uncharted in recent history. We're all adapting to changes both large and small, personally and professionally, but for the most part, we are in it together. Speaking of adapting, I am here today with my father-in-law, Dirk Winans, who's adapting to his own set of challenges. He is the big boss of Extremis, a Belgian-designed furniture brand making so-called tools for togetherness. But wait, tools for togetherness when we can no longer be together? I want to share the story of his purpose as a designer, how it was called into question almost overnight, and ask him the question, how on earth do you respond to that? Hi Dirk!
2: Hey Ashley! How are you?
0: I'm good. And yourself?
2: Perfect. Besides the fact that we are way too far away from each other, uh, we're good.
0: I know. Weird times call for different measures. So. Most people have just one simple, clear and concise title, like founder or CEO. Uh, But that's not the case with you, is it? Can you quickly introduce yourself or is that asking too much?
2: No, that's uh, very short. I mean, the title that I've been using for years is Big Boss, because I'm the biggest guy of the company um, in size and uh, belly. And um, so I'm the big boss. Besides that, sometimes I call myself the founder, the not the CEO, um, the head designer, all these things. But I think a big boss puts everything together. My wife is the real boss because we men cannot fool ourselves and thinking we are the big boss. The real boss behind there is, of course, my wife. Okay. Everybody has a funky title that explains more than just these standard titles uh, that we don't like to hear or we already hear too much.
0: Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Take the listeners back to about the year 1993. Uh, You and your wife Hilda were living in the countryside of Belgium. Both interior architects by education, you were working what probably was one of the first jobs of your career. Um, you had two small children with one on the way and you'd recently purchased a chrysler voyager for the family which i must say is definitely a well-respected dad mobile Um, life was good you were living in your first house you bought together and just built a nice garage for your Chrysler together with your family, which you then uh, would have quickly converted into an assembly plant for a picnic table. Why on earth did you do that? So tell us the story at the beginning. And for this story, I've brought in your wife, Hilda, the real boss, to keep your facts straight. So Hilda, why don't you start
1: the story? I, I've got a furniture from my grandmother from Mimi Van <laughs> um, my mother asking, do you want something of her after her death? And I say, okay, we don't have uh, furniture for outside. and It was just plastic furniture and Dirk was annoyed with it. And he says, what? You're putting here, but yeah, we didn't have something else. And that's the best way with Dirk to have something new, put something very ugly
2: the well, thing is that in those days, the typical outdoor tables were just plastic, shitty things. Very ugly, uh, not nice materials. And we were inviting quite a lot of people.
1: People was coming over and we didn't have place enough.
2: And until then, we just had a plastic table, which was not big enough. And often there were too many people. So I made a big round sheet of... A sort of wood composite material, um, actually at, uh, at the company of, of my uh, father-in-law, they used this material to make doors for pig stables. And that material was 2 meter wide. That was the maximum width. So I made a round circle in that material and that sheet, I could put it on my table and then I could accommodate about 12 people around that ra-
1: table. And it was something was really a family product. We were using it, my parents were using it, Dr. Rita was using it. And that's the trigger, just to to do it like this, to to find something to make a table bigger. It was really something we needed. And it was a frustration of us if we needed it for ourselves. We had to call every family to ask, where is the tabletop?
2: They kept asking for it every time they had a party for themselves. They asked, oh, can I use, can I use this this extension? And it's so good and all that. And then they would never returned it. They even passed it on to each other. So every time I needed it, I had to go look in the whole family to get it back. So when I started designing Gargantua, I said, okay, it needs to have also this functionality. We had our small children, um, and uh, these children. Uh, Okay, you are living with, with uh, my oldest one, uh, my son, Thomas. Uh, can you imagine him at the age of four uh, being a very, very busy uh, guy? Um, I wanted them to, to be able to sit on the same height um, or higher, I mean, so that we come a, a little bit in, the, in, the, in an equal uh, conversation uh, level. So if he sits higher, also closer to the table, he's sitting very comfortable and we can better communicate.
0: So Gargantua was a true tool for togetherness, as you say. A round picnic table with height-adjustable benches to sit your children at the same eye level as the adults. And at the highest position, I guess those benches became a larger table to fit extra guests if you were having um, a party or a larger gathering. So what was the first impression of people using that initial prototype? I'm picturing you using this as an excuse to invite your friends over more often for beer.
2: When people used it... The feedback was really, really good because, and that goes for all our designs, it is really intended to use with the the human being in mind, uh, the baseline of the company's tools for togetherness. So for me, this is even more important than the aesthetics. We judge things just by looking at it for a few seconds. And this table has so many more qualities than that. Some people think now nowadays that it was an immediate success. that is absolutely not true. The trend for outdoors started later.
1: It was very functional, and everybody said, "Wow about the functionality. It was so new, galvanized steel it was really something from, from was from the stables, and then wood. It was really something from Duke's dad.
2: I bought the steel elements. Uh, from the company of her dad and I bought the wooden elements from the company of my dad. Uh, So it was, I always call it an arranged marriage.
0: (laughs) Well I personally am glad that arranged marriage worked out for both you and Hilda and the furniture. Okay, so you touched on this a little bit but I'm going to ask this question again. Um, So the first piece of furniture, Gargantua, was founded on the principles of togetherness. And that is very clearly a through line through every piece that you've designed so far. Um, So this must resonate with people. um, But do you still practice what you preach? Or is this just a pretty marketing slogan?
2: Well, the uh, Tools for Togetherness slogan was invented after already making quite some designs. What we had... um, What I I saw is that that whenever I made a design, that the result was always very different. Aesthetically, there was very little connection. Um, You you have some designers who have what we say a signature. With some designers, I can even recognize from far who designed it, because there is an aesthetical signature. My design process is completely different. My design methodology starts with the need, um, with observation of people, um, really, trying to find something new, and that is the start of the process and then i and only then I will start thinking about about uh, the functionalities and 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 from the functionalities there's eventually the materials and the, the colors and all that so this is a design process which is almost completely inversed by um, if you compare it to to what most designers do but my end result Therefore, it's always very, very different.
0: So would you say that your why as a designer is to encourage people to come together more often?
2: It became clear to me at a certain point that all these things that I designed were really made to enhance um, interaction of people. And that has always been my goal. And that um, baseline there was not invented first. It was kind of... um, invented afterwards to, uh, to connect all the pieces together. Of course, it was really handy to, to, to have this slogan because afterwards, after discovering that all these things were really focusing on togetherness of people, it was also much easier to decide which new design would be a real extremist design or not. It is so important uh, to have a strong why, not only for the whole collection, but for every individual piece. And we always start with a strong why. If we can't find one, then we don't do it. Very simple.
0: Right. And each, each of the products is, I would say, on its own aesthetically beautiful. Um, Though you don't start with aesthetics, it ends up being a beautiful piece. And I believe you follow the Shaker's quote, don't make anything unless it's both necessary and useful. And if it is, don't hesitate to make it beautiful.
2: Aesthetics, I consider aesthetics as a functionality as well. Because if it's not beautiful, it is unpleasant to look at. And then you, you you cannot be happy if you're surrounded by ugly stuff. So it needs to be beautiful in the end. But for me, aesthetics is only one of the uh, things that that uh, design uh, should be. It should be functional. It should be e- ecological. It should be all of these things. Functionality on top of that, of course.
0: So, and, and this resonates with people. I mean, I guess for me as an American visiting Belgium for the first time um, several years ago, I was struck by how often people sought out an excuse to get together. Um, every evening, on the weekends, till late hours into the, into the next morning, I would say. Um, and it's a, it's a big contrast to, you know, our culture here in the U.S., where gathering around the table, even just for dinner, seems like a major accomplishment. So this must be also part of your, your local culture uh, in West Flanders, Belgium. Is that, is that true?
2: When it comes to the culture and of inviting people, it is true that we Belgians, maybe because we drink so much beer uh, or we, we have all these quality beers that, uh, that I, I didn't know which, which came first, eh? the chicken or the egg. Uh, but anyway, um,
0: well, I think it's safe to say that the hops came first. Um, it was definitely not the chicken or the egg. It's the hops that makes the beer that brings you together.
2: So um, there is a big difference um, in families as well, but in general, of course, I would say that absolutely that we, we love to spend uh, time together. Our wedding parties are very extended. Um, when I came to the States for the first time, I was super surprised to see that you had these events and that they ended at eight or at nine or 10. Come on, then it then it gets started. Yeah,
0: and I would I would say it's also genuine too. That I, I see it um, in these gatherings. People generally want to be together. They enjoy each other's company. They're really there. You never get a sense that somebody's just there to pay respect. It's truly. Um,
2: we are we are suffering in these COVID times. Eh? I can assure you.
0: Yeah, we can imagine.
2: We are suffering, and and that's also the reason why we have these bad numbers. I guess that. Uh, for us it's so difficult yeah. uh, not not uh, to, to be together, to come together. Yeah,
0: well actually that's a good segue to my next question. How does a brand selling tools for togetherness with human connections so ingrained in their ethos uh, respond to a global pandemic where literally every normal aspect of our daily lives has been disrupted and actually reordered to keep us apart?
2: The thing is that uh, in the beginning that uh, with, with the pandemic uh, I was like panicking a little bit in the sense that, okay, they have a company, you say, uh, you sell tools for togetherness, and then suddenly people cannot come together anymore. Some people even thought that this would be the new way of doing, because we would get used not spending time to each other. So that would be the new behavior for human beings. Yeah. Now, I think that it became very clear, um, very suddenly, uh, very fast, that, that this will not be the future, because... Certainly, we Belgians, uh, we were really bad in, in, the, in the COVID uh, uh, period in the sense that we couldn't resist on, on coming together, um, but in general, um, the pandemic has just pointed out that uh, being together is something we as humans absolutely need, and we want to go back to that as fast as possible.
0: So it's clear that you've centred your design philosophy around bringing people together. And now this year, wow, has that been called into question in a big way. But I don't know if this is the first time your purpose or your why has been questioned. So how committed are you to staying your course and protecting the purpose behind each one of your designs?
2: Well, this company is exceptional in the sense that it is run by a designer is uh, established by a designer. Um, I am here still in charge and the decisions are just made in a different way than in any other company where people are in charge with, let's say, a financial background or uh, an engineering background or even a marketing background. If you you are a designer, you just do things in a different way. And um, that makes my company quite unique, I think um the value um, that this company is based on is is so design driven that that I, I cannot run away from it I guess uh, this is the, the the basic of our DNA. so I'm, I'm absolutely not worried about that. We are uh, approached by customers on a daily basis in a sense that you know Derek, uh, why don't you do something like this and this sells good and this sells well uh, why can't why can't you design something like that? Sorry, I don't do that because if these things are already on the market and they say, "Well, fine for me, I don't have to do that again. I can do other stuff i had I had quite big arguments with some customers on 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 that subject um, but but uh, they in in the end they, they do understand my point of view um, and I must admit that for my salespeople i I don't make it easy for them because they really have to go out and they have to preach. What, what I say, um, what I believe, they have to go out and preach this, these things. It, it's much easier. It would be much easier for them to just go out and ha- and present some product that everybody wants today instead of tomorrow. Uh, um, um, and now I, I, they are forced to do this. Of course, um, in, in the end, the reward for all parties involved is much bigger. Um, but it, it's definitely an extra effort.
0: Okay, but you're not saying you're against selling your own product, of course. But maybe the message behind your product is even more
2: important to you. If we continue to make stuff we don't need, we will not survive on this planet. Eh? The planet is the planet, planet will be fine, eh? the planet will not disappear. They will the planet will stay for a long time. But the question is, will we humans be here if we continue like this? And therefore I think that the designer has a certain responsibility to only put new things on the market if it's really something that contributes, that has an added value, that has a a very low impact on the ecological side and all that. And so by definition, I will never design something that is already on the market uh, or a new chair, which is the hundred thousand variation of, of an existing team or something. Um, I'd, I'd really think that we, sh- we should definitely stop um, doing the same things over and over and over again um, for the profits of the company and the designer themselves. We have, to, we have to be committed to only do those things that really contribute to society and its survival on the long term. And if we, um, if we don't do that, I can't do it because I feel guilty. <laughs> really, honestly, I feel guilty if I put something on the market um, which has a negative ecological impact and doesn't offer anything in return.
0: Hmm, very insightful. All right, well, I think that's, that's it.
2: Okay, because we have to keep some stuff for next time as well. Eh?
0: <laughs> I've enjoyed your company. Thank you. I'm hoping our listeners feel the same. We want to know what's on your mind. If you are listening and questioning why on earth about a certain topic in design, reach out to us at the link provided on the why on earth podcast page, and we'll consider it as a topic for our next episode. Finally, I want to wish everyone a safe and peaceful holiday season. We'll see you in the new year.